Alright guys, welcome to the Health Addict Show. My name is Tommy J and I am so sorry for how long it's been. I tried to put out content, I really did, but the hospital systems, the health system, it's just been overwhelmed. And even though COVID is not at its peak yet, it still has everlasting effects on the healthcare system. We are looking at a healthcare shortage. I'm talking nurses, doctors, RTs, paramedics, the entire health system has took a crash for two reasons. One, the older generation, they just went out. I mean, why would you want to stick around for a virus that could potentially cause you to be very, very sick? And we didn't know right in the beginning if people are going to be dying real quick from this or long-term effects. So we knew that was going to have some devastating effects. So a lot of the older generation said, I don't even want to deal with this. I've done my time. It's time to get out. And two, we just weren't having new people coming in. All the schools closed down. I'm talking schools for nurses, doctors, RNs. We weren't letting anybody in to actually treat patients and get through their program. So even now with students coming in, they have no clinical experience. It's a very different environment than what we're mostly used to because we're used to this copacetic working together feeling, but there's such a lack of experience right now. And the deficit for us to bring the new people in to get them up to speed, it's a larger gap than we're ever used to. So this is a super exciting time, but I wouldn't say it's dangerous, but there's definitely more cushion that needs to be given. And we need to really bring these new people in. And that's part of uh, my job as well as educating and bringing new people in. So it's just as a busy time in healthcare and it's caused me to take a leave of absence because of it. So what have we learned from COVID? COVID has taught us quite a few things. One, we have some deficits in our healthcare system. We weren't ready for it. We thought we were. I mean, we've had H1N1, we've had Ebola, we've had other types of respiratory distress syndrome causing viruses to come in. And we just weren't ready for this level of one. So it's a little bit different than what we're used to. But I think we still handled it overall the best that we could. I think compared to other nations, we did poorly. Um, France, Spain, Italy, um, Japan, Korea. There's many other nations that did much better than we did. Could it be that the numbers are different than ours? Are we better at reporting? Um, our hospitals are required to report every few days how many numbers of COVID patients they actually have, how many tests they've run, how many infections there are. So it's a little bit different than a lot of countries too. So maybe they're under-reporting, maybe they aren't. Maybe they're doing well, maybe they're more compliant with masks, social distancing, and things like that. So it could have a vast um, effect on how their population is treated and handled and reinfection rates and things like that. So it's kind of a different look at how COVID was tracked, but Overall, I think we did okay tracking it, but obviously we weren't good about stopping the infection from spreading. I mean, Florida's still terrible. Texas is still terrible. California is terrible. I mean, they're paying people 150, 100 to $150 an hour for critical staffing measures to come out there and work in those hospitals. That tells you how desperate they are for employees. So it's a pretty interesting outlook at what we understand with COVID is that our hospital systems weren't ready to handle such a mass influx of patients, especially high acuity patients. And what I mean by high acuity is mean the level of care required was tremendous compared to normal general care staff and staying patients that we normally might see or a post-operative patient. The other thing we learned, which is quite interesting, is we learned how to better effectively treat 
Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome, or ARDS. And this is important because we have a lot of patients that come in and ARDS is like a 50-50 shot right off the bat. If you get ARDS, there's more likely a 50% chance you will not recover from having that. And it's very important that we learn how to better treat this. I mean, we did a lot of other studies. I mean, there's the ARDSnet study and things like that out there. We already know how to treat these patients in a very effective way, but 50% still isn't good. I mean, we have other options that we can do, but COVID taught us how to better oxygenate these patients because oxygen requirements during this was terrible. Everybody's oxygen saturations were dipping just because the COVID virus caused all this inflammatory response. And it was impossible sometimes to even have a good oxygenation status with a lot of these patients. Some of them only left them with hypoxic just to get them over the hump. Some people we had to throw a ventilator on them and intubate them. Um, but the more important thing is we learned a lot of things. One thing we learned right off the bat, proning patients in the beginning, and that's before they even have a tube in them, helped increase oxygenation. And what do I mean by proning? It means literally laying something onto their stomach. And laying them onto the stomach shifts those fluids, it shifts whether they're having pneumonias, it shifts blood, it shifts that intracellular vascular fluids that are around those lung cells, the alveoli, and causes the everything to shift. And we have a lot of pulmonary units in the back of our lungs too. So now that blood is flowing up high and air is being ventilated up high, it causes for better oxygenation, better ventilation, get that carbon dioxide out, the oxygen in. So we learned a lot including how to treat that inflammatory process. And the final thing we learned, people do not like vaccinations that don't have a lot of research behind them. There is a lot of skepticism behind this vaccine. And no, I don't blame anyone. I mean, we just had a vaccine put out that has, it has a good amount of test subjects in it, but doesn't have the vast test subjects that our normal flu shot has or any of the other vaccines that we give for infants, babies, or the normal ones you get along the way through your adolescence. And remember folks, this isn't just a simple vaccine. This is an mRNA vaccine, meaning it affects the way that the virus can use its messaging system to attach to the cells. So why are people so skeptic of it? And one is we just don't trust, trust the government right now. And that's a big issue. If you do not trust your government, you do not trust the things it's putting out. Now, these were made by third parties. We're talking Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, but they were paid by the government to make these vaccines. Now, another one's the Bill Gates whole situation, but you know, that's your own personal preference. The idea is though, there isn't a lot of research behind it. And I, I don't blame people. If you don't know what's gonna happen long-term effect with getting this vaccine, you're not gonna really want it. Plus, we don't know the efficacy of it past a certain range. I mean, in three months, who knows how effective it could be. So you probably will have to get a booster shot or revaccinated again to be fighting the new strains that come along the way because there's gonna be an unvaccinated portion of the population gets infected, that has antigens and mutates and then goes on to the next person. So it can be very difficult to convince the population to get vaccinated if it doesn't work. The last thing that we learned from COVID, and I think it's a pretty good one, is there's certain populations that just seem to be more susceptible to COVID. One, obesity. Two, cardiomyopathies. Three, diabetics. These three categories put you at such a high risk and not just because you're infected. I mean, everyone was getting infected. If you actually look at the actual statistics of it, 
there is only about a 2% death rate. So, which is good. That's what we want. We don't want a high death rate. I mean, 2% is still more than we actually want. We want zero. Zero is the best number. But there's still higher things that put you at getting COVID and puts you at risk for mortality. And obesity, cardiomyopathy, and diabetes were the big three. Um, other things were genetics, if you had bad genetics, especially if you have poor immune systems, and also race. We saw a big, big category of African Americans and Hispanics taken with this. Now, the question is, as everyone wants to know, is it really because they're African American or is it because of the health system and how we treat African American and Hispanics? And the question is, I don't know. It could be both. It really could. Because there is a big deficit how we treat certain patients. And it's undeniable. The facts are truth. I mean, it's out there. Um, do we understand it? No, we really don't. But that's why we need to research it. We need to look into this. And it'll make the difference of understanding it if we look at why our patient populations are being treated differently. So once we get past that, then we can start answering that big question. All right, so here are some big facts and myths about COVID that we can get past right away. So the first one is that COVID lasts for weeks on end on surfaces and can cause infections. So the typical normal COVID virus lasts about two to three days on a surface. And that's plastic, steels, metals, other things that we know as typical normal houseware sur surfaces that we have around the house. There was something found on one cruise that said it lasts for 17 days. Well, that is true. It did find virus particles 17 days after the cruise, but these particles were not infectious. The virus was not alive. It was just detected that the virus was there, but it did not have the capacity to cause infection. So the real truth behind it is about two to three days is the normal amount of virus can live on the surface. So does that make it safe? No, you still have to clean surfaces, but the idea that the virus can has this long exponential amount of time on surfaces tells us that it can't live that long. The other thing is sunlight. Sunlight has been shown to really degenerate that virus. So if you're out in the sun, you actually are more likely not to get infected if it was that dark. Two, the virus does cause digestive issues. Uh, we've seen many, many patients that have had digestive tract infections with the COVID virus. Now, is it the same thing as maybe a C. diff infection or E. coli infection? No, but you're still gonna get cramps, diarrhea, things like that, that we normally see with any kind of other flu virus, maybe that comes with a digestive tract infection. So it's not just a respiratory virus anymore. We've noticed a lot that it's compounded a lot of other symptoms with it. Could it be possible that there's other infections because your immune system is so hit from the virus? Definitely, it is definitely a possibility. But we also noticed too that we haven't had hardly any flu cases during this whole situation, the whole pandemic, the flu virus is just gone. Now, there's two theories behind that too. One, people aren't around like they normally would be. I mean, we're social distancing. We're not going out bars. We're not going out for drinks. We're not sharing things like we normally do. We're not having social interactions like we always had. So the virus can't spread as well. So flu, which is normally spread by interactions between people coughing, sneezing, droplets on surfaces, isn't doing as well as it normally would. So could it be that just because we're not testing for as much or could it be that it's just not had the capacity to travel like it normally has because of all of our restrictions? The other theory behind that is maybe because of COVID, 
the infection is taken over so hard that the virus itself of flu A, flu B has no chance of infecting because of that COVID virus infecting those sites that are attached to the cells already. And that's a super interesting um, hypothesis. It's not testable unless you get into the lab and see what receptor sites each virus is testing, which has a more affinity for those sites. Kind of like if we look at um, carbon monoxide and oxygen, carbon monoxide is a 200% more effective affinity to our hemoglobin than oxygen does. That's why carbon monoxide is so dangerous. Maybe there's an affinity difference between COVID and the flu. We'd have to test that. That's not actually a theory. So it has to be testable. So we need to test that to be even a theory. So maybe in the future we can test that, but right now it's just a guess. Another thing we've noticed is the COVID virus is more attracted to people with type A blood. Is there a reason for it? Maybe, maybe it's just the antigens are on the cells are more susceptible to the COVID. But right now, it's kind of questioned why. So it's another thing we need to look into. So if you have type A blood, it might be a good idea to get the vaccine just to better protect yourself. Now, this virus is very infectious. So is it possible for you to be infected and not show symptoms? 100%. We've seen it a thousand times in the hospital. This person's asymptomatic, meaning they're not showing any symptoms, but they're super infected with this virus. We can throw four, six, seven tests in them and they still test positive. And then we have a person that's very infectious and showing tons of symptoms and we're having them on a ton of oxygen. What's the difference between these two people is the inflammatory response that they have. Um, sometimes you lose taste, sometimes you don't lose taste. I would say the people that lost taste tend to, really, tend to have a more of a reaction than the people that don't have the loss of taste. But the virus acts so sporadically, it's a very interesting to see who has symptoms and who doesn't. Now, the big question a lot of people are having is, is reinfection possible? And it has to be. We've had a couple people that have actually reinfected. Do we know for a fact it was a different strain? No, I mean, we just know that they tested positive, tested negative, and then retest positive. So this tells us that this virus can cause reinfection and has mutated. Is the likely that you would be reinfected? No, you're not gonna be reinfected likely. These people are very small, minute parts of the population that have been reinfected. Because you look at the entire population and how many people have been reinfected, you're talking about a very small number. And that very small number is significant because that means that once you've had COVID, our bodies are very good at making sure that we don't get it again. So that's a very important fact that our bodies are handling it, maybe not as well as some people, but a lot of us are having great reactions and building strong immune systems to this. All right, guys. Well, that's really all I have for you as an update right now. Um, I have a lot of cool subjects coming up in the future. We're going to talk about a lot of things. I'll get off the COVID train now. Um, maybe if there's other things that come out in news, I'll talk more about it. But as of right now, I kind of like get back to talking about other health topics. There's so many good subjects to talk about besides COVID. And not to mention, a lot of us have had a lot of neglect on our health because we haven't been able to go in and see the doctor. So this is the perfect time to talk about other health topics, all right? So thanks for joining. If you have questions, concerns, comments, contact me. I love it. The website's getting redone. Um, we're going to have a YouTube channel, as you can tell, and I'm going to get start posting stuff again. So stay tuned, stay addicted to your health, and I'll see you next time.